I'm excited. This morning we have a brand new series, a series on heaven. Uh, I've never, ever, ever taught on heaven in 20 years of ministry. So this has been a joy the last several weeks to really uh, study and hear from the Lord and go before him on on what we would share. So let's pray and we're going to dive right into the message here this morning. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the time of worship and communion, fellowship that we've already had. But now we're asking that you would allow the word of God to minister to our hearts, to every single one of us individually, those watching online, those who are here in the room, Father, that you would not only speak uh, the things that you want to do in and through me, uh, but, Father, you would speak a word specifically to every one of your daughters and sons. Go before us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was about, I'd say maybe six or so, probably roughly second grade time, My mom, who had been going to the Catholic church with my dad, basically all her life with her family going to the Catholic church, she decided she wanted to convert to Christianity. So she started going against my dad's will. He stayed home and still went to his Catholic church. But she rounded up the kids and took us to the local megachurch in town. And we started going to church every single Saturday night because that was a cool thing to do at that time while that church was exploding. We did a Saturday night service, and um, my mom went... uh, head first into it and absolutely thank her for that. Uh, And she bought me, uh, when I was young, my very first Bible. I'll never forget it. It was a light blue NIV. It wasn't a children's Bible. It was a real Bible, real Bible. Uh, And it was an NIV. And I remember even as a young kid, to be able to hold that Bible, it felt sacred to me. It it felt important. It meant something to me even as a a real uh, little kid. And on top of, you know, the, the Bible, my mom telling me, start in the book of John to start reading there. Uh, she wrote out the Lord's Prayer and taped it to my nightstand so that I could read every night. And she wrote out that other um, prayer, you know, the now I lay me down to sleep. I pray that Lord my soul to keep. And as a kid, if I should die before I wake, I pray that Lord my soul to take. I'm like, that's a cute prayer to say to your five- and six-year-old as they're trying to go to sleep and have sweet dreams, you might not make it through the night. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember my mom telling me about heaven. And so I'm reading my Bible for the first time. I'm saying these two prayers religiously over and over every night. And I would lay back, and it took me hours to fall asleep because I remember trying to ponder heaven as a six-year-old. Because she told me that heaven doesn't have an end. Us, in our lifetime, we're going to have a day where our lives stop here and begin there. But in heaven, it goes on for infinity. It goes on for all eternity. And I remember as a kid, I'm like, it never stops. It never stops. It just keeps going and going and going. And I try to picture myself on a cloud with the chubby little babies and the harps, because that's what I saw in the pictures, and thinking, it just keeps going and going and going. And I remember hurting my brain as a little kid, trying to fathom what infinity would be like, you know, but that's what I saw heaven, that we would be on a cloud forever and ever, and uh, it would just keep going, and there's no way that my brain could compute that, and ever since I was a kid, I've always been fascinated by heaven, you know, just because it's not so much talked about it, because we we often hear about it, it seems like it's the goal of the believer to get to heaven, and it's always been on my heart. And so I'm excited uh, today that we're beginning the new series. I called it The Sweet By and By. And we're going to look at today the first part, what is heaven like? 
It's only going to be a three-week series, and next week I want to talk about what are we going to do in heaven, because we're not going to sit around, that's for sure. And then the following week and the final week, we're going to talk about the kingdom of heaven and God's original design for heaven and what our role is going to be in the sense of our dominion and our authority. So some great things the Lord has shown me, and really some things I'm, I'm learning for the first time, which is phenomenal. You know, because I grew up like everybody else where my picture of heaven really came from Hollywood. (laughs) Hollywood paints such a weird version of heaven and an even worse image of what you need to do to get to heaven. Hollywood always paints it to where you have to be such a good person, and if you rack up enough good deeds, then you'll, you'll be uh, accepted into the pearly gates. And I loved our drama team, you know, when we did uh, that skit, you know, uh, we're Cody was up there with the, uh, what was it, EPH429 or something like that form, you know, and, and talking about it's by grace alone. And bingo, you finally got it. It's not what you do right. It's not what you do wrong. It has everything to do with what we have in Jesus. And so it's painted this, this really bad image. And what's so sad is that so much of our theology, this is so sad, so much of our theology really gets shaped by Hollywood. I mean, whether it's end times and fear or it's on heaven and the afterlife, Hollywood and what's on the TV in each generation can really paint such a bad picture if we're not careful. And, you know, we get that floating around on the cloud and the chubby babies and playing the harp and it's just going to be boring and, and only, you know, goody two-shoes are up there. My mom used to say before my grandpa passed away, he's such a good man, he's going to go to heaven with his shoes on. You know, <laughs> he's just going to be all good and plenty up there. But it's going to have much more than that. And I remember reading one account of an atheist who said, I don't believe in God, and I don't believe in the afterlife. But if I were to believe in a heaven or hell, I would much rather have the torment of hell than the absolute boredom of heaven. And like we some just have no clue at what is really awaiting for us, even the Christian. Yeah, I graduated with a bachelor's degree in theology, and I just enrolled in a master of divinity with the focus on pastoral counseling. And all the classes I have taken and all the classes I'm enrolled in in five, six years of college theology education, there's not a single course on heaven. Can you believe that? Not a single course on heaven. And heaven is talked about so little in the church, but it, it should be such a motivator and a positive motivator. Not the negative. I mean, some of us have the perspective of heaven like, well, I just want to get there. And life is worth nothing. And there's almost this pessimistic look on heaven that we're just surviving and tolerating life until we get there. But heaven should be such a motivator. The scriptures are so clear that we are rewarded upon our faithfulness when we get to heaven. And there's going to be a judgment when we get to heaven. So if there's anything that we need to be motivated on is, wow, there's going to be amazing glories in heaven because of my faithfulness here. And I want to really make sure that I'm walking in line with God in his will and in obedience because I'm going to stand before him one day and give an account for my life. It should be such a great motivator. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it says that God has ordained things to be in his perfect timing. And I love this phrasing. It says that he has placed heaven. He has placed eternity in our hearts. So to me, what that translates to is that we should be homesick for heaven. 
We should be thoroughly grateful for everything God has given to us in this life. And we want to live every moment, every day for his will, in his pleasure, in his presence. But we should be homesick for heaven. And if we're going to be homesick for heaven, that means that we're going to have to have an understanding of what heaven is going to be like and what we're going to do and what we have to look forward to. The Apostle Paul He was a man who had every bit of training, the most educated religious man in history, and he was born into the most perfect circumstances. And he gives this account of of heaven that I love so much. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you real quickly. But it's in the book of Philippians, and we're going to read in verse 21 to 26 of chapter 1. And this should be in your, your outline, so reference there. But he says, For to me to live is Christ." And to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart to be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So the Apostle Paul said, Hey, I'm here, I'm obedient, but I cannot wait to get to heaven. Because to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord, and and I could be in the glories of heaven, and I'm living for Jesus, and one day I'll be face-to-face with him. He had this longing for that, but he also said there's a benefit in staying. Every day, every year that the Lord gives me is going to be for your joy, it's going to be for your benefit and fruitful labor. And so there's a good thing to be homesick for heaven. It's a good thing to be excited and to look forward to those things. Don't let that old saying fool you. That old saying that says, they're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. You ever heard that one before? And I say, well, some of us can be so earthly minded, we're of no heavenly good. (laughs) And I heard one pastor um, in my research, I love the way he phrases. He said, every believer should have their feet on earth, but their minds in heaven. Their feet on earth, but their minds in heaven. We should be homesick for this incredible place in which we will dwell for all of eternity. Eternity. And in honesty, people are the only thing that we can bring with us. So when we get excited for heaven, we're not, we're not getting excited for the things that we're going to get in heaven necessarily. We're going to be excited for the people we can bring with us to heaven. Because all the things that we have joy in here in this earth is going to fade away. But we can be an example and a witness to people and we can bring them with us. We can paint the picture of how vast and glorious and wonderful heaven is going to be. So much so that it convinces people that nothing in this world will ever compare to what we will have in heaven. I was watching a a very viral video from Pastor Francis Chan. Uh, Love the guy absolutely for what he's doing in the kingdom of God. But about 10 years ago, he did a sermon on eternity, and he did this rope example and theory. So I have a little prop here. I want you to imagine that this rope here, all the cowboys are getting excited when I do this right now in the church. But imagine that this rope is a timeline, and the knot means nothing. That's just because I got it knotted. That doesn't mean there's going to be a hiccup somewhere in your timeline. But imagine that this is a timeline, and the white part is all of eternity. And the black part, this little part right here, this little electrical tape, that's your life on earth. Now imagine this rope just went out the door and it continued on forever. We're talking billions and billions and billions and billions of years. And this is what we're focusing on. You know, they say that the average person in America will retire at 63 years old. And the average lifespan of the American is 78 years old. Now remember, that's an average. 
So some people die way too young, and many of us live to a good long age, and several of us in this church are living to a good old age, which praise the Lord. But let's just say that you live your entire life, 63 years, working yourself to the bone to get to this point right here, so that for 15 years, you can enjoy being lazy and leisure and pleasure and cruises and hanging around with the grandkids and playing bingo. I don't know what you do in retirement. I'm not planning to retire. (laughs) But let's say you work yourself to the bone, 50 hours a week, only two weeks for vacation, year after year after year after year to get this. Do you know how fast 15 years goes? Whew. And then what? Then you have billions and 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 billions of years with the Lord. So why on earth are we so fixated, so obsessed with this? Why are we not fixated on the one whose presence we will be in for all of eternity? Why are we not focused on what we can do now that is going to have the impact on eternity rather than just those 15 years or so that we have on earth? God has so much more for us, and heaven has so much that we can look forward to and can be amazed by and dwell in if we just simply look to that. But people are the only thing that we can take with us. And frankly, there's a lot of confusion about heaven, and I think that's really a part of the enemy. I think the devil would love nothing more than to confuse believers and people on heaven. That it's going to be boring, that you have to earn it, that you have to deserve it, that that there's even going to be sorrow and shame in heaven because you didn't do enough on earth. And the enemy who was once in heaven as an archangel in charge of worship, who was banned from heaven and kicked out because of his pride, I mean, think if I'm going to get back at God's children, what am I going to do? I'm going to destroy their perspective of heaven, and I'm going to keep that joy away from their heart. So what is heaven like? If you have your Bible, let's go to one of the most famous portions of a description of heaven found in Revelation chapter 21, and it's Revelation. A lot of people say Revelations, and there's only one revelation of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to read a a few verses, about seven verses here in Revelation 21, There's more in the end of 21 and more in 22 that give more vivid descriptions of heaven. But I'm only going to read a few here. Beginning in verse 1 of Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God and they will be my son. So John here is having this vision. He has multiple visions of heaven. Several of the apostles had a vision of heaven and the third heaven of even what that was like. 
But what I love in this description, as allegorical, metaphorical as it is in Revelation, it's describing heaven as a real place. So in your notes there, the first point is that heaven is a real place. It's not this magical, imaginary, ethereal place that we're just going to exist somewhere in the space. Hello. Check, check. That would have been so cool if I like really said like space and it was like echo, 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 ethereal, imaginary. It's going to be a real place. John is describing in Revelation trees, lakes, rivers, cities, mountains. He says that he saw with his own eyes, he heard with his own ears, a very physical and a real place. And even though we know heaven is going to have the supernatural aspects, John 4, 24 says that, The Father is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. But it's also going to be a physical place. In John 14, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I go to prepare a place for you, a place for you. And Jesus is perfect theology. When we see the life of Jesus, we can see clearly the will of God manifested in the flesh. And Jesus died a real death. And he was resurrected in a real resurrection, and he had a physical body. Some people are confused by this because they say, well, Jesus' resurrection body could have been like a heavenly body. It wasn't like a physical. No, it was very physical. He still had scars. You say, well, what about Mary when she, when she saw him at the tomb and she didn't even recognize him? She, she thought he was the gardener. Well, back in that time, in, in the Hebrew time, you could not look at a man that you did not know in the eyes. So she was not looking at Jesus, but when she heard the Messiah, she looked up and said, it is you. Some will say, well, what about Luke 24 when they're walking the road to Emmaus? And and for all this time, Jesus is is talking about him in the scriptures and their hearts are burning within them, but they didn't know it was Jesus. Well, it clearly says that he hid himself from them, but then he revealed himself and their eyes were open and they could see that it was him. So if Jesus is, is... painting the picture of what it's going to be like for us in the future, that we will die a real death, but we will have a real resurrection as well. That our heavenly body, it'll be a real place, a real body. And again, to be, oh, I'm sorry about that. He's perfect theology. And the things that he did while on earth, I believe that we get to experience as well. So Jesus talked, he walked, he was a physical person. And something that I really, really, really like is that he ate breakfast after the resurrection. I'm really, really, really hoping that we get to throw down on some food in heaven. Oh, my Lord, wouldn't that be amazing? But the things that Jesus did in real time as a real man, I believe that in the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to get to experience that as well. Uh, Pastor Greg Glory out in California, the Harvest Crusade guy, uh, he was preaching a, a a message on heaven, and he shared a story that there was a, an elderly couple, really elderly couple, and they both happened to die on the same exact day, which is a miracle. They died on the same day. They both go to heaven together, and they go before the pearly gates, and St. Peter is waiting for them. He says, come on in, you know, as, as you wait your turn to enter, let me give you a tour. So he starts to show them around. He says, and this is actually the mansion that Jesus prepared for you. Go inside, take a look. And they go inside and they're looking at, at their jacuzzi and their sauna and this gorgeous kitchen. And, and they said, wow, this mansion is huge. How much is this going to cost? He says, this is heaven. It's free. Don't worry about it. They go out to the backyard and they look. And in the backyard is this massive golf course. 
And every day, the scene changes to another golf course, one of the most beautiful that you would find on earth. And this old man, he looks at him and says, wow, well, how much are the green fees? And St. Peter says, no, no, this is heaven. There's no fees. There's no, no cost to it. And he goes, wow. Finally, he takes them to a lunch. There's a buffet as they're still waiting, you know, to check in. They go to an all-you-can-eat buffet with every food from around the world, every culture, every five-star delight that you can find. It's all there. But he looks at his wife, and he looks at St. Peter, and he, he says, well, I can't eat this. I have high cholesterol and blood pressure issues, and, and where's the healthy food? He says, no, sir, here in heaven, there's no calories. There's no cholesterol. You can eat as much as you want. You're not going to gain weight. You're never going to get sick. You'll never die. And at this point, the old man, he throws his hat down. He starts stomping on his hat. He looks to his wife. He says, this is all your fault. If you didn't feed me those brand muffins and all that healthy food, I could have been here 10 years ago. <laughs> But I can imagine, as, as corny and as simple as that joke is, as bad as that joke is, forgive me, Lord. I mean, can you imagine delight after delight after delight of a real place that he has prepared for us, a place where we can be in the presence of God, and like it was back in the day with Adam and Eve, where he walked with them in the cool of the day. So heaven is a real place. The second is that heaven will come to earth. Heaven will come to earth. The Garden of Eden, when God walked with them in the cool of the day and they were without sin, without shame, without separation, without sickness, it really was heaven on earth. And God commanded Adam and Eve and says, you will have dominion. I want you to be fruitful and multiply, expand my kingdom. Their job was to take this heaven on earth, God's kingdom, and expand it until it covered the entire earth. But we know the story. The enemy came in. They sinned. They ruined it. But it was no surprise to God. He has a plan. He always does. And at the perfect time, he sent his son to take care of the sin issue once and for all. But in the heart of God, there is still the desire for this heaven on earth scenario. And one day we will see, as we read in Revelation, a new heaven and a new earth. One pastor said that heaven in the future will really be like a remade earth, a resurrected earth of God's original design, but this time that no human, no man could ruin Heaven will be a very physical place, but can you imagine a world like Adam and Eve got to walk in? Can you imagine no pollution, a perfect society, people who walked in the very physical presence of God, seeing him face-to-face -face physically? Can you imagine people who have gone on before us in that city? Can you imagine dining and eating amongst friends that you haven't seen in decades? Can you imagine being in a place where the complete weight of this world no grief, no shame, no anxiety, no depression, no heartache. Every tear wiped away. Nothing but your greatest day that you can ever imagine, and you can't even because it's beyond that. Every single day for all of eternity. It's going to be a, a, a wonderful physical place. And depending on your eschatology, that new heavens and that new earth is going to come after Jesus comes back. So that leaves a question, well, if one day we're going to see heaven come with the new Jerusalem and this heaven on earth type of a deal, then what happens right now? What happens to those who have recently passed away? What happens to those uh, that have gone before us? Well, many theologians, they call this the intermediate state. Um, Randy Alcorn, who wrote the definitive book on heaven, he calls it the present heaven. And we read in scriptures how the apostle was taken up to the third heaven, 
And theologians will say that the first heaven is what we can see in the sky here on earth. The second heaven is, is the universe. And the third heaven is the very presence of God where he dwells currently. So when we die as a believer today, I believe that to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, that we are in the very presence of God and that we will one day be resurrected with the rest of them, first who have gone before us and then the rest of the saints, and then we will partake all together. But we will be in the very presence of God. Furthermore, the Bible says that a, a day to us is like a thousand years to God. So who's to say that when you die, you don't blink your eyes and boom, what is time outside of the realm of earth? What if you die and you see the face of God, you blink, and the next thing you know, it's the new heavens and the new earth. What is the timetable in the presence of God and in heaven? So we know that God has wonderful things awaiting for us. And in this time, we know that no matter what happens in this world, if we close our eyes for the final time, we will be in the presence of God. I believe that those who have gone before us are still conscious and, and very much present you can read in Luke 16 about Lazarus and the rich man and the communication that they had beyond the grave. So there's, there's much to understand and much to know. But it, this, in this introductory sermon, what I'm trying to hopefully get across to your hearts is that heaven should be something that we are homesick for. Heaven should be such a motivator. And heaven should be something that we are not aggressively but passionately hoping that others would join us in pursuit. That can happen in our declarations. That can happen in our demonstrations of the love and the power of God in every opportunity that he gives to us. And I'll close with this. I have an evangelist friend in San Diego, and he's very much, for whatever reason, in his ministry, uh, encounters a lot of demonic-type stuff. And one day he's out on a street fair, and he's preaching the gospel, and he's laying hands on the sick and so forth. And this really tall guy, I'm talking big, buff, football-looking dude, walks over to him, and his pupils are going like this, opening, closing, dilating. And he has this really aggressive growl. You could clearly tell he's demonically possessed. And he looks at my friend, he spins him around, and he says, I'm here to kill you. And I'm not going to try to mimic his voice, but he says, I'm here to kill you. And my friend goes, okay, that's nice. Turns back around and keeps ministering to the guy he's ministering to. So this demon-possessed guy spins him around again. He's like, I'm here to kill you. He's like, I heard you. Turns back around, keeps on ministering. He turns him around again, and this time you could tell he's going to do something. And my friend stops and says, right now, in the name of Jesus. And he goes to town, and this guy's eyes open up. They stop. You could tell the demon was gone, and he led them to the Lord. So amazing miracle, right? But in this conversation that he's having with this demon, off to the side was somebody at the street fair who was a complete atheist. Totally ingrained in science, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. He was living for logic and reason, and he made a decision in his heart that I do not and will not believe in God. He walks over to my friend, and he says, I saw that guy's eyes. That was not of earth. What do I need to do to get saved? And literally an atheist, just by seeing one deliverance because it was real, blew all of his logic and science out of the, of the world, and he said, there's something beyond this. All my friend did was do what he was called to do. In his own skin, as he was, just being faithful to what God had called him to do, but in the very act of expressing God's love to another person, in the very act of demonstrating power on the, the demonic, an atheist can clearly see there's something beyond here. And I pray in what we study in the next couple weeks that we really will not only get a greater hunger for heaven, but we will also get a greater hunger to lead others with us to heaven. 
There's so much God has waiting for us, and we can't even allow the great things of this world to keep us and hinder us from what he wants for us. So, Father, we thank you that we clearly have a hope and a future in you. Thank you, God, that though we live for a short time in this world and you have promised that in this world we will have trials and tribulations, you have overcome the world and you've given us a hope in Jesus. We are hidden in him and we have the glorious anticipation of what heaven will be like. Thank you that for all eternity we will be with you, dining at your table, face-to-face with God, forever in your supernatural joy and peace and strength. Thank you that you have given us however many days on this earth to be a light and a witness of your love, your gospel. Help us, God, to grow a deeper hunger to minister to those around us who need the hope that we have. So we love you for this time in the next couple weeks as we continue to grow and learn and be reminded of the great things of heaven. We pray, God, that it would draw us closer and deeper into intimacy with you, your love, your presence. Bless my friends today as we go on into a new week that you have blessed us with. May we go in your joy, in your power, and in your strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week.